0: mark five there's a woman just just let me share for a minute because watch watch hear me listen faith comes by and hearing by the okay and so in an atmosphere of revival the way that you add gas to the fire is by interjecting the word and this is why we sing the word a lot of the songs that we're singing we're just ripping out scriptures (laughs) from genesis through revelation and then singing them over the community of god So we already sung the word. Now just let me share the word for just a moment. We're gonna stay in this atmosphere, but I need you to see this today because I think sometimes for us, what we think of as move of God or move of God's spirit or revival atmospheres is let's get to all the fun stuff or the good stuff, but don't bore us with the word stuff. And can I tell you a move of God that's not anchored to the word of God quickly begins to fall into the flesh of man but you anchor a move of God to the word of God and his word stands forever. And now watch what happens here in Mark five, because this is good, you'll get this. You'll get this, watch. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And in fact, she has suffered many things from many physicians. (laughs) And she has spent all that she had. And in fact, she was no better, but in fact, she, grew worse and is it not true friend that we have an entire culture that is suffering and exhausted from their many attempts to be made well they've spent their time and their money their effort in an attempt to become better become enlightened become virtuous but instead of getting healthy they have gotten worse I thought that surgery was gonna fix my identity issues i thought that job was going to solve my financial problems i thought that relationship was going to resolve my loneliness i thought that influence was going to cure my dysfunction i thought that substance was going to bring peace to my chaos and after she had spent all she had instead of getting better she was broke destitute and worse off than ever before friend, because we don't live in the first century, we are often unfamiliar with the implications of these stories. Because of this woman's disease, she wouldn't have been allowed to enter the temple for religious ceremonies. According to the law, anything or anyone she touched would instantly become unclean. If she were married, it is likely she wouldn't even have been allowed to live at home because of her condition. She was ostracized from religion. She was separated from community. She was removed from relationship, and she was deemed unclean. The fact that she was in the crowd pressing around Jesus means that each person who bumped into her would have been unclean as well. But after 12 years of suffering, she's decided enough is enough. See, religion has made a big business out of convincing you that you are far from God. Giving you all the reasons why you can't draw near. Making you feel as if all you will ever be is unclean. But, friend, I've got good news. And Jesus makes the corruptible incorruptible. He takes mortality and clothes it with immortality. He makes the dirty clean, the sinner righteous. He takes the dark and makes them lovely. And he takes the dead and makes them alive. The doctors of culture cannot heal The doctors of entertainment cannot save. The doctors of religion cannot set free. But there is a man whose name is Jesus. He is the great physician, and at his touch, your soul is saved, your mind is renewed, your body is healed, and the church is revived. When she heard about Jesus, She came behind him in the crowd and and she touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. See, friend, faith comes by hearing, but impartation comes by touching. This is why we lay hands on the sick. This is why we anoint with That's why scripture says if two or three agree touching anything, there is something that happens when what you hear becomes the motivation for how you proceed. It is not enough for me to know facts about how Jesus operates. Oh, I touch him for myself. And so often what we want in the church is for the pastor to interact with God on our behalf. Pastor will press through, pastor will worship, pastor will pray, pastor will contend. But what if today we flip the script? What if today wasn't just up to me or select few to pull on heaven for the rest of the community? but instead together we entered into his gates with thanksgiving and praise and refused to allow the crowd around us to be the reason we don't interact with the God inside of us. See, it was Spurgeon who said, it is not every contact with Christ that saves men. It is the arousing of yourself to come near to him the personal resolute belief that the touch of Jesus Christ is that which saves. It was Augustine who said, flesh presses, but faith touches. It was Jesus who said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Oh, this is not a casual, if God wants to do it, I guess He will. This is a holy invitation to come to the water, buy bread and wine, delight in His abundance, and seek the Lord while He may be found. Friend, what is happening at Asbury? It is the start of another campus awakening all across this nation, I promise you that. It is happening now. It is happening for our young people. It is happening for our children. And we must press in, not because revival isn't already here, but instead because I have heard the sound of rain and it is coming to America again. See, friend, without hunger, you cannot have outpouring. And God will show you glimpses of glory to activate your hunger for God to do it in even greater measure in your life. See, faith puts a timeline on the miracle. It wasn't a casual response. It was a holy demand. I have no other options. I'm not willing to deal with this one minute longer. If I can only get to his feet, oh, I know that I will be made well. See, faith without a timeline is just wishful thinking. See, I believe that we are in an hour of awakening for the church. This is a window of opportunity that we must seize. And I am convinced that if I will draw near to him, God will respond in power like we have never seen before. Well, if God wants to do it, He just will. He does. Do you think that we want revival more than Him? Do you think that we care about Seattle more than Him? Do you think that you love your children who are far from God more than Him? Faith is not a casual. If God wants to do it, I guess He will. And when He does... I'll clap my hands a few times. Faith is a demand associated with a timeline. If I can just get to his feet, if I can just get to this altar, if I could just get to the place of prayer, if I could just raise my hands in worship, if I could just activate the little oil I got left in my jar, I am utterly convinced that God will meet me here, but I've got to get to his feet. (laughs) Now watch, I love how this woman is talking herself into faith. If only I may touch his clothes. See, there isn't any guarantees in this world. But by faith, you can subdue your surroundings and enter into God's promises. So often, we view revival through the lens of what the crowd does instead of what the individual initiates. See, revival both begins and is sustained when men and women develop the individual initiative to allow their spiritual hunger to be manifested through their personal behavior. It only takes one person who will grab a hold of his garment It only takes one person to cause all of heaven to stand still. It only takes one person to decide to engage in worship and watch how the entire room begins to shift. Friend, revival is not a democratic vote. It is not the result of a thousand people in the room all singing the same song. In Mark 5, it was the result of one woman who heard about Jesus and refused to miss an opportunity to use her faith. We say the presence of God is sovereign, and in one sense it is. But the scriptures declare that if we will draw near, then he will draw near. I'm not waiting for permission. I am not waiting for popularity or critical mass. I am a one man walking, living, breathing revival who is in desperate need of the master's touch. And come hell or high water, I'm pressing through. I want you to see this woman's decision to draw near to Jesus as an act of repentance. It's almost like she is saying, I've looked to other things to make me well. I have tried other avenues to bring me healing. But I have now turned my gaze in the direction of Jesus. For without holiness, no man can see the Lord. No, I'm not talking about performative, religious behavior modification. I am talking about shifting your gaze from worthless things onto the holy, and in doing so, becoming utterly convinced that God has what you need. His presence can change your life, and His power can raise you up. Revival necessitates repentance for repentance takes the heart of stone and turns it back into a heart of flesh. God, I've looked in other directions. I thought religion could save me. I thought relationships could save me. I thought sexual experiences could save me. I thought money could save me. I thought influence and prestige and esteem could make me whole but I've spent all I've had and I'm worse now than I've ever been. So let me turn my gaze to the direction of the master. For if I touch his hem, I shall be made well. I think so often we have the wrong construct for what we think repentance is. Like if I just feel bad or if I just say sorry or I just say, my bad, and friend, repentance is about changing your gaze. I've been looking at the wrong stuff. I've been looking through the wrong lens. I've been looking in the wrong direction. And so God, shift my gaze from worthless things to instead the holy of holies, so that my heart may be made new. Why? Because image creates desire. And what you stare at eventually will develop a place of desire in your heart. And that desire will turn into an altar that you worship at. And unless our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we run the risk of worshiping lesser things. And repentance looks like the church turning its gaze back to God. Now the Bible says in verse 29 that immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, (coughs) immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Disciples said to him, don't you see the multitudes crowding you? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. The Bible doesn't say the woman checked to see if the bleeding had stopped. It didn't say she had verified proof from a physician that the bleeding had quit. It says she felt in her body that she was healed. Oftentimes, God works through the parameters of our feelings to point us in the direction of his will. See, feelings aren't everything, but they are something. And there was something in this woman's spirit that leapt when she knew this was my moment. See, One of the big critiques of revival by people who have never experienced it is that often it is rife. Rife with emotion. So they'll say, well, it ain't a true move of God. Too many emotional people. See that person weeping, wailing at the altar? It's emotionalism. See that young person jumping, running around during worship? Oh, oh that, 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 that's just emotionalism. And I've just decided in my life that I'm not going to allow people who have never experienced revival to tell me how the church of the living God should experience revival. (laughs) Do you think that when you get to heaven, your emotions will not be moved by what you see? That you'll stand there all dignified with a notepad making notes about how the next service in heaven's throne room could go better? The Bible said that when Jesus healed the man who was born lame in his feet, he danced all the way to the temple, shouting, leaping, jumping, and praising God. And you know who it offended? The Pharisees. Why do you pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath? He said, I don't even know the name of the one who made me well, but I know that at his touch... What was lame came to life. What was dead has been resurrected. I sat on this mat my entire life. I was paralyzed in these feet from the moment I was born. But when the Master looked in my direction, something leapt in my spirit. And so, even if it's on the Sabbath, let me jump and praise God too. Of course, God will stir your emotions. You've been under bondage, darkness, depression for 30 years. You get healed in His presence. Of course God's going to stir your emotions. You see God reaching a young person who's been far from Him. Of course it's going to stir your emotions. So we don't apologize for jumping, shouting, crying, weeping, laughing. Because God is the author of our emotion. Is it the driver of the car? No. Is it a passenger in the car? It better be. Some folks say they're excited for church, but they forget to tell their face. No, when you get in his presence, the well of your heart is stirred. And if it's not, you're not in the presence of the one that you think you are. The crowd is close to Jesus, but the Messiah is able to differentiate between the multitudes who are there for entertainment and the woman who is there because of faith. Sometimes I feel this during worship. I feel it in worship. The room will be filled. Hundreds of people, sometimes thousands. I know that there's a lot of people in the crowd. But there is something that happens when one or two or three grab a hold of his hymn by faith. I literally feel virtue come out. I feel power begin to flow. We'll just be singing the same song that we've sung maybe a hundred times in this environment and then all of a sudden it will kick. The anointing of God will hit the room. The spirit of God will begin to blow on people. A lot of people looking around like, what just happened? I know a woman with an issue of blood used her faith to press through the crowd so that she could be the one. And at her faith, Jesus stops and turns around and says, who touched me? I want to build a church of people who are so radically on fire for God that when we worship and when we pray, all of heaven stops what it's doing and turns towards this region and says, I know that there's a lot of people meeting, a lot of churches gathering, a lot of people worshiping, but just stop for a minute. Angels, I know you're singing, but stop for a minute. Elders bowing down, laying their crowds, that's great, but just stop for a minute. People singing and dancing on the streets made of gold, great, but just stop for a minute. Who touched me? Somebody's grabbed a hold and they're not letting go. Somebody refuses to leave until they get their breakthrough somebody has used their faith to put a demand on only what heaven can provide Stop for a minute Who touched me and can we develop faith in this room? that causes even the master to stop what he is doing and look in the direction of the church, not for crowds who are gathered for entertainment, but for men and women who are so possessed by faith that they refuse to be denied. Who touched me? God, it was us. It was the burning ones in this room. We've looked in a lot of other directions, but today we're turning our gaze towards you who touched me. The scriptures say that Jesus felt power flow out. He felt virtue being released. And could it be that the passion and the persistence and the faith of those gathered here today could be the very thing that tears heaven wide open. And in doing so, doesn't just grant us the requests of our prayers, but begins to plant seeds of revival in both small and big cities alike all across this nation. God knew I needed to be at Asbury. I needed to hear the testimony of that young woman in line behind me. I needed to meet that young man in the lobby who two years ago gave up on God. I needed to meet that young adult at the bathroom who said, are you Pastor Russ from Seattle?" I needed to have those experiences. Because if I were to be honest, sometimes preaching and ministering and believing and contending can become exhausted. Feeling like God, are you even hearing our prayers? Are we even making a difference? I know the church is growing. I know the Northwest is on a collision course for revival. I feel it in my bones. But God, there is a sea of fish all around us. And they're on their way to a devil's hell. And they're slipping into a Christless eternity. And are we even making a dent? Because if I were to be honest, there are times where I feel like giving up too. And I needed to be in Wilmore, Kentucky. To hear the testimony of young men and young women who looked at me with tears in their eyes and said, whatever you do, don't give up. Whatever you do, keep preaching like you do. Whatever you do, keep worshiping like you do. It's making a difference for me, for my generation, for my college campus. Don't give up. If no one else worships around me, I'm pressing through. If no one else prays around me, I'm pressing through. I don't care what it looks like. I am not talented enough. I am not educated enough. I am not gifted enough to live this life on my own. Oh, friend, we are in desperate need of a touch from the Savior. But this woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. At the moment she touched the hem of of his garment, she was already healed. Hear me, she could have easily escaped in the crowd. There was no reason for her to stay around. She had received what she had been looking for, but watch, her touch brought healing to her body, but it's her confession that brings assurance to her soul. Hear me, the woman didn't just find a cure, she found a friend named Jesus. she is ceremonially unclean. For a woman to even touch a rabbi in a normal circumstance would be highly against the Jewish ceremonial laws of those days. For a woman who was unclean to touch the hem of a rabbi's garment, it would be an anathema. And she has no idea how the rabbi will respond. He doesn't say, who touched me? Because I want to give you the microphone to share a testimony to release faith for me to do other miracles in the crowd. He just turned around and said, stop! Who touched me? If I'm her, I'm scared to death. I'm scurrying off as fast as I can. Let me get lost in the crowd so that he cannot find me. I know that I shouldn't have done what I did. I just made everybody unclean around me. I know this was against the Jewish law. I know this is highly offensive in this culture. I know what I have done. Let me just escape in the crowd. But Jesus turns around and he says, Who touched me? And the Bible says, In fear and trembling, knowing what happened, she came and fell down before him, and she told him, the whole truth I've been sick for 12 years this whole time I haven't gone to the temple once I can't even live at home with my own husband I can't even have a relationship with my own friends I've got a scarlet letter tattooed on my forehead I am unclean and I know I shouldn't have done it. I know it was against the law. I know it made me look undignified. I know I deserve rebuke. I know that you have every right to be upset with me, but I'm desperately in need of a touch and in fear and trembling. She was honest and authentic Maybe for the first time in a dozen years. I am so tired of being sick. I am so tired of being ostracized. I am so tired of being alone. I am so tired of being dry. I am so tired of being an outcast. I am so tired of being far from God. I am so tired of living on the margins of my faith. I am so tired looking at other things. I am so tired of wasting my money on things that I don't need to impress people that I don't like. I am so tired but I saw you walking by and I can't explain it but there was, there was something that overtook me And I thought to myself, if if I could just get on my hands and knees and work my way through the crowd and nobody will see me. I deserve to be in the dirt anyways. I deserve to be in the mud anyways. I know that I'll always be unclean, but if I could just get on my knees and make my way through the crowd, maybe, just maybe, God would do it for me. And I've grabbed a hold of the hem And I'm telling you, there was a fountain of blood that dried up, and I can't explain it, but I know that I've got a touch from the master. Watch, watch how Jesus responds. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Hear me, Fred. Confession turns healing into peace. Confession turns temporary relief into permanent transformation. When the leper confessed his healing to Christ, the disease didn't just stop, the damage was reversed when Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of the Living God, it wasn't just the truth being told, it was the revelation that would build the church being released. And this is why the Apostle John in 1 John 1 and verse 3, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ to me mark 5 it's a picture of where we're at as a church i started to write this sermon on friday morning as we flew home from orlando every time that i would read these verses and try to write a few notes spirit of God would overwhelm me I begin to weep again on the airplane because I identify with the brokenness of this woman I identify with the desperation that she must have felt thinking God you're my last resort my only hope if you don't do this for me there's no other place that I could go for only you have the words of life I felt like, Fred, for, for you and me this morning, this is the first time I've preached this sermon. I tried to last couple services. It just didn't work, but I just feel like, Fred, for, for you and me, if we could so identify with this unnamed woman from Mark 5, recognizing the depth of our own broken conditions, in doing so, embracing what may look shameful to the crowd around us, drawing near to Jesus, I am convinced that at the master's touch, your life can can be transformed. If you were to back up in Mark 5, you would find that Jesus is actually on the way to the house of Jairus. For Jairus' daughter has died, and Jesus is on the way to raise her up. It's interesting, the dichotomy between these two stories. For this woman has had the issue of blood for 12 years, but the Bible also tells us that Jairus's daughter is the age 12. Both people facing desperate circumstances, both associated with 12 years. Somebody whose life has been cut short and now lays dead. Another person whose life is, has been rendered useless by the disease that she wrestles with. Both of these people on divine assignment from the Father to draw close to this Jesus. I think there are really only two categories of people in this room today. There are folks who are dead, and you need Christ to to resurrect you. There are others who are desperate. You belong to God and you have fellowship with his son and you're a part of this community. But you know that there's more for you. And you know that God desires to do something deep and rich in your heart and you're here today and you don't want to leave this moment. You feel engaged, you feel drawn. You feel like God. I, I know that, that there's, there's got to be more for me, and you're not complaining. You're not upset, but you just have a sneaking suspicion on the inside of you that the God of abundance has yet to show His best work in and through your life, and and you don't want to leave until God redigs that well of inheritance inside of you. We all are either dead or desperate. And if you don't think you're desperate, it's because you're dead. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the desperate in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. I am more desperate today than I've ever been before. I see glimmers of hope on the horizon around me. And I'm just convinced that if I will bow low in his presence and press through the crowd of other people's opinions, that at his touch, my life could be transformed too. Let me end with a story. I think maybe for many people, if they were to travel to Asbury University and see the revival, especially from our community, some of them might be a little confused. Like, this doesn't look like what I, in my mind, the picture of that when I have revival. It's not what it looks like. There's like a three-piece band on stage. There's a kid who kind of knows how to play guitar. There's a there's not even a keyboard. There's a real piano. It's really out of tune, but there's a real piano and there's one kid on a drum box. And half the time, the power of God hits them, and they just lay out, and ain't nobody playing instruments. It's good for me every once in a while to be in an environment where I don't have to manage anything. Because honestly, if I had to manage anything in that environment, it'd be a panic attack. Because I'm like, OK, guys, like, let's work on the transitions. OK, so we're singing songs, but there's no words on the screen. So can somebody help? Is anybody else watching? Okay, yeah, so that's kind of how I'm thinking through an organizational lens. But there's like none of that. It's, it's chaos, but it's beauty at the same time. It's a paradigm within a paradox. It's the wheel within a wheel, okay? So God is doing this incredible work. And they're singing like these songs that, that you and I probably heard on Christian radio like 15 years ago. They're the songs that when they come on the radio, you change the station. Listen, I love worship, (laughs) and I love the new revival tunes. I love the old revival tunes, but there's a lot of stuff that I just don't gel with. It's just it doesn't speak the language of my heart, whatever. But I could not but be absolutely enthralled with the passion and the hunger of the room. They're singing songs, and I'm like, well, that's not my favorite. A thousand young people crying out to God, hands raised. I'm like, that kid's playing the wrong chords the entire time. Don't matter. A thousand kids, hand raised, crying out to God. We're like in this moment like this, you know, kind of like this. It's it's very vibey. It's very moody. Spirit of God is there. And and about every hour, hour and a half, they transition a new three-piece team. I don't know why they don't use the drum. They got a full drum kit on stage. Nobody uses it. (laughs) But there's something just so beautiful and sacred (laughs) about what's happening. So we're in a moment like this. All of a sudden, this kid gets up on a guitar and, uh, and starts singing. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. It's like 3 AM. It's literally a sovereign moment like this. Like the Spirit of God is in the room, right? People are bowed low in reverence. I, I, I already got a list of songs you can go into. Help me help you. Strike to arise as we wait upon the Lord. I'm praying. Because I'm more spiritual than you, so I'm praying. (laughs) They start singing, and I'm like, oh God, what did they do? This is gonna be the moment to revival ended right here. I look around. It's 3 a.m. Hundreds of young people, hands raised, sitting in those wooden chairs. Bouncing, jumping up and down, strength. Will, and pretty soon, the spirit of God hit me. I'm jumping around, raising my hands. Strength will rise as we wait. And I just thought to myself. I just thought to myself, watch. Hunger will take an ordinary moment and make it a supernatural one. It don't matter how nice of a restaurant you're at. If you just ate, the food isn't interesting. But when you're starving, you go through a drive-through, you get a McDouble, it'll be the best thing you ever eaten in your life. Because hunger takes an ordinary moment and turns it into a supernatural one. And I thought, oh, God, do that for us. That we wouldn't gather goats to be entertained on a Sunday, but sheep who are gathering in need of the master's touch because hunger pulls on heaven. For the hungry and the thirsty, they shall be filled. Asbury has these altars set up. Again, they come from the Methodist Wesleyan tradition. It's very dignified, it's very holy. One of the things that I've had to learn uh, as a believer and as a leader is that you can't receive from another stream until you honor that well. And so many people they get locked into their own box. Well, when God shows up, it has to be branded by my church, my denomination, they have to sing all my favorite songs, and it has to look exactly like the way I want it to look. And if it doesn't, then it's not true revival. And if we were to host a revival service, which I think we did on accident this morning, it would, it would look different than what's happening at Asbury. Hear me, it's a different stream, but it's in the same river because it has the same author. And so I just received it at Asbury. I just knelt at that altar. I wept before the Lord. I said, God, do it for me. Do it for my kids. Do it for our youth ministry. Do it for our children's ministry. God, do it for the church down the street. God, do it for the university. Do it for Northwest. God, God, do it Do it for us. Do it for Do not pass us by. Do it for us. I pray for Cleburne at Asbury. I say, God, do it for Alex and Brenna. Do it for Texas. God met me. (laughs) See, the longer you're in church and the longer that you're following the ways of the Lord, the easier it is to become professional in your service. And we ought to break professionalism off of the church What God loves is amateurs. People who don't even know. People who don't have it all figured out. The broken, the humble, the contrite. That's who he is close to. And I needed to see what was happening at Asbury. Because what I felt like the Lord did is he dug my well about three stories deeper. And I said, God, I am so thankful for what you're doing at Pursuit. But if this is all you've got, take me home. I want the region to come into awakening. We left Wednesday morning to fly to Orlando to be with a minister I'd never met before. Again, a different stream, but the same river complete 180 opposite experience of Asbury. Asbury is like very holy, very sacred. Hymns, songs, spiritual songs, people at the altar, very few people praying for each other. Just people literally encountering God and the beauty of his holiness. What I loved about Asbury is the night that we were there, there were several major A-level Christian leaders who if I said their name, everybody in this room would immediately recognize them. And you know what I loved? They walked in the room and nobody freaking cared. Wow. Nobody was like, oh, so-and-so is here, man. So, good. hey, why don't you get up on stage and greet the people? It's so good. Nobody cared. They were less than impressed. They had to stand in line just like the rest of us. I thought, aha. And revival, what God does is he re-centers himself as the center of attention for the church. So we left Kentucky, flew to Orlando, showed up. They was having camp meetings, revival service. I cannot for the life of me even begin to explain what that was like. Power of God, Spirit of God. God touched me in one of the most powerful, transformative ways I've ever experienced. Spirit of God hit me. It lifted me off of my feet, threw me back a row and a half. Well, why did God do that? I don't know. I don't know. But we've spent so much time trying to deconstruct him so we can get all of the answers to our limited intellectual questions that we have forgot. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are high above. Well, if God's power touches me, I only want it to minister to me in ways that really make me look great and feel great and look dignified. Guess what? God will do the opposite just to mess you up. He'll do the opposite just to mess you up. I'm not going to fall. Watch him. I'm not going to cry. Watch him. I'm not going to shake. Watch him. I'm not going to bow at the altar. Watch him. This is not Burger King. You don't get to have revival your way. You have revival his way. I experienced kind of both ends of the extreme. And I just thought to myself, well, my God, I hope I land somewhere in the middle. But God, whatever you so desire to do, fill me up to overflowing and let the river of God that flows within begin to splash out on all of those who are around. Friend, this is the God that we serve and and this is the moment that we are in as a church. And could it be that we are seeing now the beginning stages of another great awakening to sweep this region. Could it be, could it be, could it be? Oh, I thought you was just using all that language because that's what Pentecostal guys do and they always talk that way and it's just kind of like pie in the sky and hopes and dreams and, revi- and everything's revival. And, ev- and there is a danger in that. When everything becomes revival, nothing is revival. There is a danger in that. But I'm telling you guys, this is not just a tagline. We're not trying to build a brand. We're trying to change the world. <laughs> and could it be, let me just possess you with a question. Could it be that we are now beginning to see the early reigns of what God will do in an effort to flood this nation with glory. And you and I get the best seat in the house. Come on, would you stand? I was going to say as we close, but it's almost one, and we do have another service at one. And so here's how we're going to transition. Worship teams go play and we'll kind of worship through and we'll see who sticks around and stays or shows up at the 1 p.m. service and we'll just make room for the Spirit and the presence of God to do what it does best. But um, I want to end this way by uh, uh, inviting you to the altar. I know not everybody will fit. Some of you will, some of you won't. For those who end up not fitting at the altar, but still feeling a call or a sense to pray, what I'll ask you to do is just kneel on the floor and, and, and uh, in doing so, put your head on your chair and, and, and just turn that place into an altar where you can encounter God. But I just don't, I, I just don't want you to miss, I just, I just don't want you to miss this moment because, because Jesus is here. His presence is here. Friend, our nation is lost without another awakening. His presence is here. His presence is here. It's the one thing that we need, it's the one thing that we have sought, it's what we have asked for, and it's here. Hear me today, friend. Hear me today. I can't touch him on your behalf. Oh, I wish I could, but I can't. You've got to grab a hold for yourself. And in doing so, allow this Jesus to transform the deep things of your heart. I am more convinced now than I have ever been. Friend, we are on the precipice. We are on the very precipice of another great move of God's spirit. It'll rewrite the history books for our nation. We'll see a million or more young people come to saving faith in Christ. We'll see this same spirit break out over universities and churches and college campuses and high schools all across this region. Oh, can't you see it? Can't you see it? It's beginning. It's happening. What we've prayed for, what we've contended for, what you gave for, it's beginning. God is faithful to do what He has promised to do. And in the time of outpouring, we must attach ourselves like never before to the hem of His garment because it is where His anointing collects. And friend, we cannot let go until power and virtue flow from Him into us. Some of you got kids in the the kids' ministry. If you want to bring them down to the altar, go grab them and bring them down. This is a moment. It's the first of many. But I'm here to tell you today, it is beginning. And you and I get to be on the ground floor of another awakening by which God paints the landscape with his glory and his beauty and his brilliance. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you need to, come to this altar quick. If you're here today and you knew Jesus at one point, but if you were to be honest, you're far from him. Come to this altar quick. Seek the Lord while he may be found. if you're crying out for a fresh touch of god in your own life you'd say pastor i'm that woman i'm in desperate need oh i need him this hour more than i ever did before i'm pressing through the crowd i'm grabbing a hold of his hymn if that's you come to the altar quick come on all across this room come on press in make room come on can we get on our hands and knees before a holy god Could we seek him while he may be found? Oh, come on, friend. Let's come to the altar. Let's worship this Jesus. Allow him to break up your hard heart. Allow tears to flow again in your eyes. Allow songs to come from your heart. Allow prayers to come from your spirits. Come on friend, let's worship, let's pray, let's seek the Lord, let's contend, let's repent, let's confess, let's grab a hold, let's grab a hold, and let us never let go.